wanted to speak today on trusting God for the impossible. Trusting God for the impossible. And uh, just an interesting story. My brother Peter is busy digitizing all my late father's sermons. They are still on audio cassette, and we are in the process of digitizing them so as to make them available to people. And we do broadcast some of them on Impact Radio. And uh, I can remember a story from my childhood. When I was a, a little boy, I would go on holiday with my parents to East London, and without fail, we would go to church on Sunday while on holiday. And we were not allowed to swim on Sundays. And I don't know how it worked out, but every Sunday the weather was balmy. And Monday it would be gale force and raining. But boy, oh boy, we would go to church. And I remember my grandfather had a valiant. It was like a Mari biscuit color valiant. And um, I can't remember if it had a vinyl roof. It could have. And uh, we got in the car and we went to church. And on the way to church, my grandfather uttered the unforgivable. And in the, in the car he said, I don't feel like church today. My father was a minister from a church up country. And here he was with his father, and his father didn't want to go to church, and we were third and fourth generation Baptists, and it was, it was an abomination. <laughs> and, uh, and my dad said to my, to my grandfather, why don't you want to go to church today? He said, because I don't want my weekly whipping. I don't feel like my weekly whipping. And, uh, and Peter was digitizing the programs this week. And he called me and he said, come and listen to this. And it was my father telling this very story. And I could listen to it again and remind myself, we must never go back to that. And I'm not here to whip you today. I'm here to encourage you. And I want to, if I can, just lift you up again, lift you up to a new height. Trust the Lord to do something in your life. Speaking about trusting God for the impossible. And you know what I've discovered? It's easy to trust God when things are going the way we planned. Man, it's so easy to trust the Lord. When everything's going as you'd hoped, when everything's going as you planned, oh, then it's so easy to speak about trusting the Lord. I remember going through a very difficult period in my life, and I would go to people and say, oh, I'm having a very difficult period. And they say, oh, trust the Lord. I'd think, yeah, well, just come and spend a day in my shoes. But I tell you, when things are going well, it's easy to trust the Lord. It's easy to trust the Lord when there is a light at the end of the tunnel. When you can see that things are starting to change. But when it comes to trusting God, when circumstances are impossible, that's not quite as easy. 
when things are beyond repair, when things have gone too far, when we reach a place of irreconcilable differences, when our future has been destroyed, how do we trust God then? When our backs are against the wall and we have perhaps run out of alternatives, we've tried plan A, plan B, plan C, D, E, F, and now we're at Z. How do we trust then? Well, I believe that we can trust and believe God against all odds. Against all odds, we can trust God. But how do we trust God for the impossible? How? How do we do it? And I want to give you a few points today that I, I think can help you. And, and they will, they've certainly helped me. And oftentimes when I preach, I preach to myself because uh, I'm also walking this road. And uh, today's message really comes out of a small incident that took place with my mother. The other night we decided to go out to eat and we invited my mom to join and so we went out to eat. And it wasn't long ago, it was about under a month ago. And uh, as we were driving back, my mother started to do something, and it's not unusual. My mother can burst into spontaneous prayer at any time. She can at any time burst into quoting scriptures and promises and prophecies, and at any time she's prone to it. I remember some years ago my mom and dad were traveling back from East London, and uh, my mother says she was keeping at the speed limit, but I don't know what the speedo cruise was set at, and she was driving along, and she hit a patch of ice, a hailstorm had passed over there, and what happened was it took that car, and it just spun the car around and around, and eventually it spun it off the highway into one of those little poles with the blue signs on it, and there the car stopped. But as she lost grip, she just began to quote Scripture. Now, I don't know what you would do in that situation, but she was quoting Scripture, and she was calling Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So it's not unusual. But the thing that was unusual was she started praying and quoting promises for things that are now impossible. You see, when God gave her and my father those promises years ago, it looked likely. And it was easy to trust the Lord. Then it moved from being likely to being unlikely. And she still had to trust the Lord. Then it went from being unlikely to impossible. And she still trusted the Lord. Today it's moved from impossible to outside the realm of possibility. And here she is, quoting the promises and praying in the car, and I found myself laughing at her. It didn't put her off in the least. She carried straight on. And I laughed. When I went home, I, I, had to, I had to evaluate my own heart. And I had to come to the conclusion that what I had done was ugly. Maybe you never do ugly things, but that was ugly. And the truth of the matter was that what she was trusting for, I had already written off. 
soos die Afrikaanse mense sê, ek het op my maag geskryf. And you know what happens after that. But it was written off. And I thought, ah, oh, you trusty for that. <laughs> Please. You know. But yeah, she is trusting. You'd think with all her years of wisdom she'd know better. No, she's trusting. Maybe you've written something off. Maybe there's something you've given up on. And so I want to say, how is it possible for us to trust God for the impossible? Firstly, avoid resignation and acceptance and giving up. It's not, you cannot receive the impossible if you have resigned yourself to the current situation, if you accepted that this is and that I'm not going to bother about this anymore. I've given up. I've thrown in the towel. How can we trust for the impossible if we have resigned ourselves to the situation, accepted and given up? How can, you, how can we have the impossible then? Now you might say to me, oh, you're a good denialist, young man. I tell you, I'm not talking about being a denialist. I'm talking about trusting. I love to watch the history channels on uh, DSTV and especially with anything to do with the Second World War. That's, then I can, I can uh, be glued to the television. And one of the things that I was watching recently was a program about the British Empire in the years running up to 1940 to 1945. What had happened is Hitler had come to power. Hitler had begun to dominate Europe. And the British were in his sights. He wanted to conquer the island, the British Isles. And because the British people had seen what was going on, they had begun to feel that it would be better to capitulate and surrender and become part of this new world dispensation under the Nazis. And so there was a movement, a lobby group within the people, and they had lobbied the prime minister at that stage in order to try and seek a settlement with Hitler. And the Prime Minister had gone over and had tried to negotiate with Hitler, and of course Hitler, you know, played his game. And, and they were thinking about surrendering. They were thinking about trying to make a peace agreement. They were thinking that this is the way the world was going to be. It wasn't going to change. And so they needed to, you know, surrender. And onto the scene comes a fat, old, smoking man who suffers from depression. And his name was Winston Churchill. And he comes onto the scene, and um, I don't know, do you know that he suffered from depression? Didn't you know that? He spoke about it as his black dog days. Now that is a term associated with depression, when he could not get out of bed. But in the midst of that, he managed to lead the British people in the war. It's just one of those remarkable things for me. But Winston Churchill stands up and he starts making these speeches. Now you must remember these speeches were long before the end of the war. In fact, they were about five years before the end of the war. The worst was still to come. 
And Churchill said these words, and I'm quoting. He says, Even though large parts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. Isn't that amazing? He carries on, he says, We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight on the hills. And then we shall never surrender. Now, you must remember, he was saying this to a nation that was ready to surrender. And he goes on, that's where everybody stops. But it goes on, and it's quite complicated English, but let's get the gist of it. And he says, And if, which I do not for a moment believe, this island, or a large part of it, were to be subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until, in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. So here he's got hope. He says, even if they come and they crush us, and we are defeated, the world will stand up in, in God's timing and restore the old. What an incredible thought. And there was no resignation or acceptance in his words or tones. He was not living in denial. He admits it at the beginning. He says, even though large parts of Europe have fallen and may fall, he wasn't denying it. He wasn't living in denial. But it was almost as if he lived with a sense of victory. And to me, I want to capture a little bit of that in my trusting of God. We must believe. And within our hearts, there must be a sense of prevailing victory. We cannot live with a sense of prevailing defeat. We need to live with a, a sense of prevailing victory. So, how do, is it possible to trust God for the impossible? One, don't get caught in resignation, acceptance, and giving up. Point number two, remember that God is a miracle-working God. Remember, God is a miracle-working God. Don't forget that. And one thing we must never forget is the fact that God is a miracle-working God. It says in Psalm 77 and verse 14, it says, You are the God who performs miracles. Your God performs miracles. Miracles today has become a strange kind of term, heavily suspected. I want to tell you, your God can perform miracles. What is the definition of a miracle? Well, this is what Merriam-Webster's dictionary says. A miracle is an extraordinary event when divine intervention in human affairs occurs. Do you believe that still happens? I do. An extraordinary event when divine intervention in human affairs occurs. That's a miracle. And you have a miracle-working God. 
Don't doubt it. He performs miracles. He does the impossible. Never overlook the possibility of divine intervention. Never overlook the possibility of divine intervention. No matter how hard the situation, no matter how long you've been trusting, no matter how old you are, no matter how weak you feel, never ever overlook the possibility of divine intervention. Never limit God. How do we trust God for the impossible? Remember that God is a miracle-working God. Point number three. God has a timing and a season for everything. God's timing is not our timing. We want things now. We live in the age of the instant. Everything is instant. And we want instant gratification, instant food, instant coffee, instant rice, instant, instant, instant. We just don't get instant grown-up kids. (laughs) Although I keep telling my children I was born grown-up. But you see, God has a timing and a season to everything. And when we believe God for for the impossible, we've got to remind ourselves of this. And there are two great examples for me. It's the person of David. Do you know David was anointed king as a little shepherd boy? And that the estimates say it took a minimum of 15 years from the time he was anointed to before he became king. That's quite a time. Especially in those days, you know, they didn't always live to, they didn't have the health and medical things that we have today. And so, you know, life expectancy may have been a little bit shorter. But here we see David. It took time. Joseph, I mean Joseph, he saw visions and dreams. And initially, those dreams seemed likely. After all, he was his father's favorite. But over time, the possibility of this becoming a reality went from likely to unlikely to impossible to totally inconceivable. And he ends up in prison. But in 24 hours, he goes from the prison to the palace. It's all timing. And it's a remarkable story, that story of Joseph. It says in Galatians 6 and verse 9, Let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. For in due time and at the appointed season we shall reap if we do not loosen and relax our courage and faint. Don't give up. That's speaking about that thing of of uh, acceptance and giving up. Let's not do that. God has a timing for everything. There is a season for your breakthrough. There is a season for your breakthrough. Keep doing the right thing and it will dawn. How can we trust God for the impossible? By reminding ourselves that God can turn anything around. God can turn any situation around. And recently I was reading the story of Esther. It's such a magnificent story. If you've got time during the holidays, just go and read the story of Esther. But we see how Haman, who was a friend of the king, and uh, the the king was giving him uh, favor. So if you think politics is new, don't worry, it's been around for a long, long time, so don't concern yourself too much. But this man, Haman, had favor with the king, and he put together a strategy to get rid of Mordecai and the Jewish people. 
And the king thought this was a wonderful idea, so the king issued an instruction, and Haman went and built a lovely gallows so that he could now finish off Mordecai and the Jewish people. And at the last minute, for such a time as this, Esther's on the scene, and Esther goes and risks her life and speaks to the king. And the king finds out what's going on. And suddenly, everything changes. Here's the story. I'm just reading this one verse, Esther 9 and verse 1. In the twelfth month, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred. In that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. The opposite occurred. Do you know Haman had to hang on his own gallows? Be careful what you build for other people, just by the way. Be be very careful what you build for other people. And that might sound like a huge joke, but be careful what you build for other people. Haman had to hang on his own gallows. And here we see that God turns the situation around. It says, the opposite occurred. Now, you might be in your situation and it looks like this. And God may just want to turn it around, and the opposite may occur. Other versions say the following. It was turned to the contrary. That's what it says in the Amplified. Quite the opposite happened. That's what it says in the New Living Bible. The New International says the tables were turned. Interesting ones, those, eh? And, uh, and God can take the situation and turn it around. And Joseph was a case in point. You see, God will take what was meant for evil and turn it for good. And that's what happened with Joseph. His brothers wanted to destroy him. The brothers wanted him dead. But God turned it around. He caused the tables to be turned. Quite the opposite happened, and it was turned out to be quite to the contrary. Here's the scripture. Genesis 50 verse 20. You plotted evil against me. But God turned it into good in order to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today because of what happened. Now here I just want to stop a moment and say, can you see the purpose of God in that scripture? There was a timing issue, but there was also a purpose issue. And sometimes when we're going through difficult times, we cannot see the purpose. And while Joseph was being a slave or a prisoner, I bet those 10, 15 years, he he was like, ooh. You know, but here at the end of his, at the end of the story, he says, "You plotted." He's speaking to his brothers. You plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good. Why? In order to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today, because of what happened, there could be a positive outcome to your disaster. Believe it. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Point number five, why, how can we trust God for the impossible? Well, because restoration is God's pattern. And you have reversal of fortunes in your genes. As Christians, we have the reversal of fortunes in our DNA. We can, that can happen. God is a God of restoration. He loves to turn situations around. He has a heart for restoration. Deuteronomy 30 verse 3 says, The Lord your God will restore your fortunes. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? 
Ezekiel 36 and verse 1 says, I will cause you to be inhabited according to your former estate, and I will do better for you than at your beginnings. You know, maybe today you, you're far worse off than when you started out. Well, take this as a promise for yourself. I will cause you to be inhabited according to your former estate, and I will do better for you than at your beginnings. Take it. Grab it. Maybe it's a rhema word for you. Grab hold of it. Joel 2.25 says, and John preached about this, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. When it comes to restoration, God is a God of restoration. As we begin to close, point six, how is it possible to trust God for the impossible? We've got to remind ourselves that the impossible is possible. My father always used to say, what is impossible? Take the H out of him and put it in front of it. It is him possible. One letter, H, and it moves from impossible to him possible. We've got to begin to believe that. Never write anything off. Things can change. Things can change. I want to give you a scripture now that is a story of things changing. It's Ezekiel 21, 26. Thus says the Lord God. Remove the headband, that was something the priests wore, and take off the crown, that was something the kings wore. And it said, things will not remain as they have been. Things will not remain as they have been. The low is to be exalted, and the high is to be brought low. Isn't that amazing scripture? You thought things will stay as they are forever. You thought things will never change. You thought things will never turn around. Well, take this scripture. It says, things shall not remain as they have been. And I tell you, that's a challenge for me, and I'm wanting to grab hold of it. Things that seem to have become entrenched can change. Things that seem to have the upper hand can be brought low. Things will not remain as they have been. That's what the impossible is all about when God is involved. With God, nothing is impossible. Here's a scripture for you in closing. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 12. It says, Come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners, for there is yet hope. I promise this very day that I will repay you two mercies for each of your woes. Whatever that, is, that exchange is, I want it. Two mercies for every woe. Lord, I want two mercies for every woe. I claim this for myself. Come back. I come back to you. You are my place of safety. I'm a prisoner of hope, for I have hope in you. And I receive your promise this very day that you will repay me two mercies for every woe. Claim it for yourself. Trust God for the impossible. Keep on trusting God for the impossible. And believe Him. Believe Him. We started off saying today, we want to speak about trusting God for the impossible, and how can we do that? Well, one, avoid resignation, acceptance, and giving up. Two, remember that God is a miracle-working God. Three, remember that God has a timing and a season for everything. Four, remind yourself that God can turn anything around. Five, you have the reversal of fortunes in your DNA. Restoration is God's pattern. And lastly, put the H in front of impossible, because the impossible is possible in Him.
Are you strengthened today? Are you encouraged? Well, let me pray for you. Would you stand as we pray? Let me pray for you a blessing as we continue to trust God in the areas where we need His help and breakthrough. And if it applied specifically to you, to you, you're welcome to raise your hand so that I can just identify with you. Lord, today we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Forgive us for a, a tone of mistrust, a tone of negativity, and a tone of resignation. We declare you are the God of the impossible. And things, God, some of them have gone from likely to unlikely to impossible to all nigh inconceivable. But despite all that, we trust in you. No matter who laughs at us, we trust in you. And we declare we shall never surrender, but we will keep on trusting you. We don't throw in the towel. We keep on trusting you. We keep on trusting you for the impossible and we believe you because you are the God who restores fortunes. You are the God of restoration. You are the God who does miracles. And today we lift up our spirits and we say we believe. Your word says it and that settles it. In Jesus' name. Now I pray a blessing on all your people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. And may He give you, give you His peace. And may you have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. May you know the Christ of Christmas. And may it be a wonderful time for you and your family. Lord, we pray for protection over this time. We pray that you would undertake in people's health, finances, traveling, relationships, and every other aspect during this season. And we pray, Lord, that we would be reminded that the greatest miracle was your birth. And because of your birth and because of you, the greatest attested fact of ancient history, we can have confidence in you as we go into 2010. And we pray today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen.